know that we have the answers yet in the virtual reality field or the XR industry. We're still looking for the right approaches, but the immersive theater world, the gaming world, and cinema all have a place. It's particularly exciting when these things come together because then we can create a new type of storytelling. Hey everybody, welcome to Right Brainers, where we unpack the latest trends in technology and creativity through real stories of creative breakthroughs brought to you by Z by HP. In each episode, we'll dive inside the creative minds of the world's most innovative thinkers. I'm your host, Tito Hamzy, a man on a mission to get his left brain to understand some of the biggest right brains out there. Our next guest needs no introduction, but otherwise I wouldn't be a very good host. Kira Benzing is a director, but not just any director. She's a multi-dimensional interactive virtual reality director, and she's revolutionizing the way we tell stories. Kira, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tito, for this warm welcome from a great distance. Your background is an actress in theater, and now you're in the world of virtual reality. Tell me a little bit about that journey. Yeah, I did. I started in front of the camera and on the stage. It's true. And I trained all over the world. I trained undergrad at Lafayette College. I trained at the National Theater Institute in Connecticut. And then we went to St. Petersburg and I trained with Russian theater in the Stanislavski and Chekhov, Michael Chekhov traditions, and then later at the Sorbonne in Paris. So I've been quite a bit all over the world and then did my postgrad in London at Lambda, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, thinking that I'd be doing Greek tragedy and Shakespeare and all of these classics that I love so much, but actually finding that I really love putting teams together and building complex projects that would take an audience in the round or around a stage. How do you take from the classics, like in movies and music and film and everything, and then write for this new language, for this new medium? If we look back to the classics, and I think we have to, because we are in a new place and there are things that they learned that is not worth us reinventing the wheel. Yeah. So you want to go back to the beginning, but at the same time, we're in such a new place. You had to put something in front of an audience and see how they react. So we don't have an Aristotle yet for VR. We don't have a Shakespeare for VR. What are you trying to navigate as you write this new language, as you figure out how to go about things? We're finding as we write these new story beats and experiences and interactions that our audience in social VR, especially if they're coming to one of our performances as this Double I Studios team where we've been building VR theater and live performance on these social VR platforms so we can bring an audience in to watch our actors live. Mm -hmm. And we're finding that the audience is looking for more. They actually want to get close to the actors. And sure enough, in our performances, the audience flooded the stage. They wanted to get around the actors. They wanted to follow them. We had given the audience some things that they could do because they took on this collective role as a group as part of the Greek chorus. So we gave them some lines that they could say and some actions, and they all got so into these characters, they wanted even more. So now we have to push our narrative further and give them more options. What was that tipping point that pushed you into VR? Really, I had been creating documentaries, but not in a traditional sense. I was working with dancers and creating movie musical numbers that I was blending into my documentary work. 
flashbacks and alter ego characters. And so I was blending narrative in a really hybrid way, making these hybrid documentaries. Mm -hmm. And as I was doing that, the transmedia movement of documentary storytelling was growing tremendously. You had incredible efforts going on from groups like NFB in Canada and Arte in France. And they were creating these nonlinear experiences that you could consume through a web-based experience, through a web-based player. And you could enter a world and explore this entirely other narrative as a kind of companion piece to a feature documentary, but you could get lost in it for hours. They would make these nonlinear experiences that were sometimes four or even more hours long. And so there was something that I absolutely loved about that. And I was working on a documentary about a philosopher and theorist about his ideas about waves. And I wanted to put people inside his world. And so I was coming up with these nonlinear approaches for how we could put someone inside this world. And really, that should have been VR, but I didn't know that it was VR. And it wasn't until Tribeca Film Festival, which had the storyscape section that you could go inside of and see these new approaches to storytelling. Mm -hmm. I finally had a chance to get a headset on. I remember waiting for days in line to get one of these VR headsets. And I had no idea that this was what I was looking for, for this other kind of narrative that I wanted to tell. But the minute that I put it on and the minute that I could walk up to a character and engage the character's narrative... I, as the player, had the opportunity to trigger that story. It empowered me so much. I knew that was exactly what I was looking for. When you're creating these characters' narratives, how much of that process is similar to theater? So much of the process is similar to theater. You are thinking about the character's backstory in the world, the inciting event that starts the story. You are thinking about why you're even there inside this story. Proscenium-based theater, I think, keeps a distance between the audience and the production and the performers. And in immersive theater, you're changing that. You're changing that relationship. And VR is changing that too. When you're inside a VR world, you have an opportunity to engage with narrative in a new way. And I don't know that we have the answers yet in the virtual reality field or the XR industry. I think we're still looking for the right approaches But the immersive theater world, the gaming world, and cinema all have a place. And I think it's particularly exciting when these things come together, because then we can create a new type of storytelling, a new narrative, and a new role for the audience to partake inside that story world. You tried on this VR headset for the first time. You came back with like, wow, this is amazing. Is the next step for you purchasing some type of headset? Are you going and getting a camera rig so that you can figure out how to record in VR? Like, what's the next step from there? My first VR experience ever was called The Enemy. It was by a French team directed by Karim Ben Khalifa. He'd been a war correspondent and journalist, and he was used to doing long-form storytelling, long-form journalism. And he had gone to capture two soldiers and to capture from many angles with many cameras to capture them and do this kind of early photogrammetry. He captured two soldiers that would normally be opposing each other, an Israeli and Palestinian soldier, and he drops you right in the middle of the two of them. Holy man. Right? Yeah. Serious, serious stuff. And you walk up to them and it's based on your proximity to each soldier. You trigger their story. You bring their stories to life. And then they tell you about why they've been fighting in this war what it means for them, what it's meant for generations of their families. And you have to hear them both out equally. 
which I also thought was incredibly powerful because you can't choose. You can choose at which points you listen to them. You can start a story and then walk away and engage the other soldier, but it doesn't end until you've listened to both of them equally. It was so empowering and moving for me. And I just, I knew it. I mean, immediately. So my next step was going up to the creators and the technologists and the producers and, and just writing a ton of notes on whatever scrap paper I had with me. How can I make this? Where do I start? What tools did you use? What kind of team do I have to build? And then I just started going to conferences and lectures and looking up these programs like Unity. What is an HMD, a head-mounted display? What does that mean? What kind of file do I have to export to create this three-dimensional mm-hmm. world? So it, I began this this kind of long journey of research. That experience that you had with the soldiers, right? That was like your individual experience. And VR experiences tend to be like siloed experiences. But the experiences you create, you call it social VR. What is social VR? So I would characterize the difference between a siloed virtual reality experience and a social VR experience. Siloed, meaning you're really, you're alone in the experience. It's you and the experience. It's you and the character. And that's it. You're not interacting with anybody else. You are the only human inside that experience. It's curated content. It's been designed for this one-to-one relationship. Social VR, meaning now it's you and it's me and it's maybe 10 of our friends. And we're all getting together to do something as a group of people. Like gaming? Like gaming. Yep, exactly. Exactly right. Like gaming, like going to the theater, a place where you would want to have a group of people, like going to a dance party, something where you want to meet other people, hang out with your friends, go on a quest together. That would be a social experience. Are people willing to sit down and watch a movie together in a social experience type atmosphere? Definitely. My friends and I, if we're doing something social on a hangout, in a kind of hangout way, we like to explore worlds together in these social VR platforms. Something that I was watching that, that you put together was uh, that video with Reggie Watts with everybody dancing and all these things. And it was like exciting and fun. So that particular experience, Run-In, that one is not a social experience. So I'll just, I'll, that it's one's not. not. I know we wanted it to be. Networking, computer. I was like, this is, this is a lot of people. There are a lot of people. You're definitely <laughs> in there surrounded by people, but you can't be in there with friends. So, okay, so let me break it down. So yeah, so clarify that for me then, because I thought that was, that would be social VR. It can feel social because you're definitely in the center of a party and you can, you have a lot of agency in that experience. So you can choose who you're dancing with and how close you're dancing to the dancers. It's, it's definitely fun. I remember once I was watching a documentary with Steven Spielberg and he said when he was shooting 2D, he'd have one eye open looking at the frame, right? When he was doing 3D, he started looking at it with two eyes open. And now in the VR world, you know, you have to look like all around and think about Every single thing. So how does VR stretch your creative boundaries? It's definitely doing something to my mind, I suppose, right? As I I think about the screens that I'm looking at. When I directed Run-In, I worked off of about four screens. The Intel Studios team had even more for me to call action from. But Mm -hmm. when I was calling at sometimes some very short shots that were timed in maybe even just 10 seconds, 20 screens is a lot to look at. So I felt four was enough. It gave me enough angles to call from. And when I'm working off of a virtual live production with my actors, I'm in there in VR with them. So the screen is everywhere. 
And with like a complex project like that, how far are you planning out? Like how, how far are you going from brainstorm to the show day? Is this like months, years, or is this like a quick like, hey, I have this idea. All right, let's get into it. And then boom, completed. Yeah, we're kind of on that side of the spectrum, Tito. I feel like we are on this kind of, hey, let's have an idea. Let's test it out and get an audience in there trying it. And I feel like my process has been changing from having worked in film and cinema where I might edit and edit and bring in a test audience and go back into the edit and sit there alone in a dark editing room with my editor and my colorist working very, you know, in a very small fashion. And here our team is so collaborative. We have engineers and audio mixers and performers and writers. We can rehearse this ongoing production we've been playing with and developing is called Pandora X. We're now working on a prologue for it called Finding Pandora X. And our team is meeting in Mount Olympus together. And we have flying in our world. So we're flying around Mount Olympus, having rehearsals and discussions and trying to bring to the audience, especially that has been at home in this really unique historic time that we're living in, We're trying to bring them in to the world in a faster fashion than we might normally. So from what I read earlier is that you don't call people that watch or partake in your experiences as uh, users. They're they're not using the headset. You refer to them as players. Why is that? You're calling them players. Players, exactly. There's a couple reasons. So I think coming from my acting background and having studied all over the world, I really love the verb that the French use called jouer. So jouer is to play and it's also to act. It's the same. And I think that there's something about a playfulness that's important in storytelling. Mm -hmm. If we want to build an immersive world, we have to think about why we're putting someone in the story. We have to give them things that they can interact with or play with. That play might be something really serious for them to interact with, but it's still something that they are triggering and engaging with and changing. So I think that especially when we're in these rooms with developers, these software engineers, and the traditional language has been user, someone that's using the technology. But if we actually want to change the way that they are interacting with the story and begin to write a new language in this virtual reality and XR field, then we have to think about changing the language from the very beginning, from these rooms where we are designing what's happening. Tell me more about something I'm stuck on that you mentioned is flying. It's flying in virtual reality. So we we have a mechanic right now in Mount Olympus where, of course, because we are working in this world of Greek mythology and everything can be fantasy, our gods, of course, would be endowed with superpowers. So they fly around. So that's part of their blocking. They would have a fight call before the show begins. We have a flying call. So as you're, like me, myself, I'm a player viewing this. Somebody is flying around me or I'm experiencing flight? Both. So in our, so this is a secret that we'll just give away with everyone that's listening. Um, <laughs> so your secrets. Right, here comes the secret. It's coming. Um, we would, we <laughs> have our actors are flying because it, that is their superpower. But we also asked our digital audience in a production that we'd had uh, back in April, we said, what gift would you like to have? You know, what superpower would you like to have? And they all said, we would love the superpower to fly. And so we said, okay, we're going to grant that wish. So the virtual audience that comes in, we're going to share that gift with them and they'll all get the power to fly. And so at the end of the show, at least this is where we've put it, we teach the audience how to fly. I have a question on your 
idea process and your thought process. You you say you said you work with a team. Do you have collaboration in mind from the very beginning of a project? Or are you starting with an idea yourself? And then once you get to a point, you begin collaborating with others. Collaboration is a really big part of our process at Double Eye Studios. It's something that, I mean, yes, I'm the director and I'm at the end of the day, I'm calling shots. And quite literally, if we have a live broadcast and we're streaming from a virtual world, I'm literally calling the shots. Mm -hmm. But collaboration is a really big part. So we think that everybody, especially because we're coming from different backgrounds, some of us are coming from an engineering background. One of my writers, my team has been writing for amusement parks for years. We're all coming from these different disciplines and different ways of viewing things. And we all therefore have something important to bring to the table. Also, you know, on this topic of of different backgrounds and perspectives, if we think about inclusivity and what other people and their cultural backgrounds have to bring to the table, all of that, I think, makes for better collaboration. And it's really important to hear ideas out because all of your ideas have merit. We should hear everybody out and then lift up what we think speaks to the collective team. You're building worlds, huh? We are. Virtual worlds, right? Exactly. Where we can fly. When you're collaborating with the team and stuff, you're in this VR world and in production. How quickly can you make changes to anything that's needed? Pretty quickly. It depends on what we're doing. My lead developer, it's been a really fascinating iterative process, especially because we wanted to reach an audience during this pandemic of whatever the the state of the world is that we're in, this unique time, this distance, this digitally distanced time. Yep. We, because we wanted to get an audience in there, we, you know, we built Mount Olympus really fast. So we didn't spend the kind of time that we would 3D modeling and texturing and getting perfectly polished animation sequences. We were just like, let's get the world. Let's get it going. Let's get some art in there. Let's get some interactions possible so we can get an audience in there quickly so they can spend time with each other and have a communal experience that they can't have in the real world because we know this technology is possible. And I would go in there and once we had flying built, you know, I could fly up to a cloud with my developer and have a conversation looking down from the cloud at our overall world and go, okay, I think we need to move the pillars over here. We need to move these rocks over here, this mountain. And we could have this kind of incredibly beautiful, overarching view of the entire world that we were building. Uh, My lead developer, his name is Mark Sternberg. He could go back to his computer and work on the world and upload a new version for me within a day. So we're iterating pretty fast. And what type of programs are you guys using? Unity and all that type of stuff? Yeah, all that type of stuff. (laughs) Exactly. The, The 3D game engine type of stuff. We are using Unity. That's been the foundation. And then on top of that is VRChat. And VRChat is built on Unity. So that's the kind of underlying framework. And then VRChat gives us some incredible options to be uploading worlds and hosting the world and bringing people onto that platform. You're pushing what can be done in VR. You're pushing it to the edge, uh, an immersive and interactive experience. Is that your main focus right now? Or is there any big breakthroughs you're chasing creatively? We are branching our narrative right now in this immersive theatrical production for Finding Pandora X. Mm -hmm. And that will be a breakthrough when we get through it. You know, there's different tracks then that we'll be running the audience on because it's all live. So we'll have kind of multiple game masters in each scene. We have, of course, live performers. And that's always fun every time we're bringing them into a rehearsal and we're introducing them to an audience. 
I think every time we upload a world and we expose it to an audience, it feels like a breakthrough. Like we're even impressed as a team, like we pulled that off live because we're taking such a risk by making it live. The humanity that you feel from someone being there live with you, that the actor is only responding in a way in this moment because you're there as an audience member, as a group of players. There's something that changes and shifts even in a subtle way. And here, because we'll have a branching narrative, it will be even bigger. People will take choices and whatever choice they take, that's the choice they've made. And so that's the narrative that they'll have, which will be different from the other half of the audience. Everything you're working on looks pretty sweet. And uh, I'm excited to see where you go from here. (laughs) Our team has a lot of dreams. One of that is to bring a bigger audience together. And I think part of that is that the audience is still growing. They need to look to VR as a place where they want to spend time and gather with friends and know that there are teams like ours and many more around the world that are trying to build compelling content for them. So I hope that more and more people will order headsets and get the right computers to power these worlds so that they can dive in and join us because we're ready for them. Another breakthrough that we're chasing is to find ways to branch our narrative so that people have even more choice. The player doesn't just follow one Greek chorus leader in the experience. Everything is based on this production of Pandora right now. So I just keep talking about the Greeks and the Greek chorus, but in other stories that we're writing so that they would have an opportunity of more choice and agency. We like them to be able to explore a world. So you'll see in a lot of the worlds that I build and design for years now that they have teleporting, they have some form of exploration built in. Choose your own adventure. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yes. And we're laying different story points in there for them, or we're providing them with a guide that they'll do some kind of follow with, but they'll also learn something and do something. They'll trigger an action. They will be part of uncovering a mystery together as a group of people. So what's special is we want to find more ways to kind of break the narrative. And I think if we can hit that, we'll definitely have a breakthrough. Tell me, where do you see VR in 10 years from now, 30 years from now? In two very different places. 10 years from now, I would expect that a lot more people have headsets. I would think that it's part of their daily ritual. There's something that they are doing. It is a place for entertainment. It might also be a place where they are going to the office. They can go to the office in VR and meet with each other in a virtual office and solve problems as a team. 30 years from now, I would expect everybody has a VR device and they're able to connect even more. And they mm-hmm. really choose to spend a significant part of their time in VR. You think as like common as like a cell phone or common as a gaming system? I would hope as common as a cell phone by 30 years from now. That it is actually a tool that we find is so useful to us that we do rely on it. Yeah, let's see what happens. I mean, only time will tell. Only time will tell. And hopefully we can just keep bringing people in one by one right now. We are at this point of this very new medium writing a new language, which is exciting for my team, for sure, but maybe also really scary for other people. I would hope that it means that for the rest of the world that's thinking about coming into VR storytelling, that there's space for them. Because we don't have all of these really established poets and writers and playwrights yet, we don't even know what to call them yet. VR experience writers, that even that language isn't totally clear. So there's space. Yeah, that's, that's true. And it's like thinking to the future, this is a good time to jump into VR. Like what will be the Citizen Kane of VR, right? None of us know. 
And this is a good time to start experimenting and creating. Exactly. Exactly. What's the Casablanca? We don't know yet. None of us know. And you might be creating it here soon, right? Or maybe someone listening will be, right? I feel like there's space for everyone right now. Let's inspire them. Yeah. Get going, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Go download some 3D tools and start learning. (laughs) <laughs> Show me how to fly, Kira. You want to see how to fly, Tito? I want to. I want to see it. I'm okay. intrigued now. It's a little messy. I'm gonna. I'm gonna move my setup. Here I go, guys. Okay, let's see. So basically, here's how you fly. You've got your controllers, and you basically, in our world where this is built in VR Chat, using a special script that we're using called Udon, you fly by basically flapping your wings as if you were like a bird. And of course, you might be wearing a different kind of avatar. We put our Greek chorus in uh, in different Greek chorus costumes. And if you want to change direction, you know, you're, you're pushing in different directions. If you want to go forward, you're flying forward. And so every time you fly, you're like flapping your wings. It actually gives you a sense of embodiment. And we're not flying you. You're choosing to fly yourself. You as a player decide, all right, I'm going to fly with everybody. I'm going to go up. I'm going to go to the right. I'm going to fly forward and up and high. You make those choices. And I think there's something… Can can you fly faster and slower? Like the the faster you flap, are you going to fly fast? You you can catch higher velocities. And and you can also set uh, the kind of gravity level that you want and force of how fast. What does it feel like? It's amazing, actually. It feels… Otherworldly. It's hard to describe. I can say though that the first two times that I started flying in our VR world, I started flying in my dreams. Oh, really? Yeah. It translated that much. It did. Yeah. It had some effect on my brain, I suppose. That's awesome. It's really fun. I really want to try it. You have to let me know. Like, if we can ever set something up, that would be sick. Yeah, for sure. We'll get you in Mount Olympus and teach you how to fly. Love it. Kira, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me from all over the world where you're all gathered safely. (laughs) Thank you for doing this and having a great conversation. The pleasure's been mine. Thank you. Between 3D, mixed reality, virtual reality, and XR, if you got a little lost, that's okay because same here. That's why we've invited a super smart expert to give us a little peek behind the virtual reality current. Welcome to the show, the brilliant Joanna Popper, Global Head of VR at HP. Welcome, Joanna. How are you doing? Hi, Tito. I'm doing really well today. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Life is good. Good, yes. So this is all about VR, right? Kira, she's doing interesting stuff. And we talked about a lot of VR in this episode. Can you break down the differences, though, between AR, VR, and XR? Okay, so I'll start with virtual reality. Virtual reality is where you go inside a headset and you are completely ensconced in a digital world. So everything you're interacting with and everything you're seeing is the virtual world. So here's an example, virtual reality headset that you go inside. Augmented reality, there are two different kinds. One kind is headset-based augmented reality and Mm -hmm. where you would go inside a headset, like say a HoloLens or a Magic Leap or there's others, and you would see the digital world overlaid into the real world. So that's one kind of augmented reality. And then the other kind would actually be mobile-based. So you would pop up your mobile work, you know, your, your cell phone, and you might see what would this IKEA furniture look like in my house. Yeah. Um, that would be an example of mobile AR. A lot of us use it all the time. Like really the lenses on Snapchat or on Instagram even could be considered sort of light mobile AR. Okay. So, so we have VR, we have AR. 
And then we have mixed reality. And mixed reality gets used in lots of ways. Yeah, it can yeah, yeah. be when somebody is inside a virtual reality game and you watch a YouTube video of them and you see them as the real person, plus you see their first person view. And so you're seeing both the digital world and the real world. And it's together mixed reality. That's one example of mixed reality. And other people use it to mean other things. They can use it to mean a world where, say, you're in a virtual reality headset, but you're touching real things in the real world, like in some location-based entertainment. And then, so what is XR? Well, the people use that term differently, but people sometimes got tired of saying AR, VR, MR, or AR, VR. And so XR is a little bit of a catch-all that people use just to talk about the whole industry as a as a spectrum from AR to VR and beyond. Oh, so when they're using it, they're just saying XR, and then people know it's just generally speaking of any of these headset-mounted virtual world type things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's spatial computing in general. It's immersive computing. It encompasses AR, VR, and, and all, all the Rs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joanna, Kira mentioned two of her productions, Running and Love Seat. Can you go a little deeper about the differences between these experiences? Sure. They're two completely separate and unique experiences, and she's the producer, creator, director of both of them. Running was the first, was um, created first. Kira's um, created it with Reggie Watts and with Intel Studios. It premiered at Sundance 2019. It was a great, great, great experience. And so they tapped into the Intel volumetric stage and created all these versions of Reggie Watts dancing in different sizes, different directions, you know, just captured a ton of different movement by Reggie Watts, who's a well-known comedian. So she worked together with Intel, the Biometric Studio, to create the project. And so the experience at Sundance, when you went in, you put on the headset, and first you were in a, a record store, Um, like old vinyl record store. And then music starts and you see Reggie Watts in every direction, in every size, and all the sorts of super colorful, fun explosion of music, dancing over here, dancing over there. And you just can't help but move and dance. And you feel like you're with, you know, this big dance party, having so much fun. And so it really makes you want to move and makes you want to engage with the characters in the VR experience. It was just a really creative and fun use of volumetric capture, making you want to connect with your body and move in a new way and to produce a really fun, groundbreaking experience. So is it the same ex- type of experience for both those productions? No. Running and Love Seat? No. So that's, so that's Running. And then Love Seat, I would call it immersive theater virtual reality experience. So in Running, you are a single, single user inside the experience. You, ha- you feel like you're with all these other people, but there are all these other Reggie Wattses that are dancing with you. Love Seat, Kira, premiered at the Venice Film Festival in 2019. It's a multiplayer or multi-user interactive experience where you also have live actors. It was built in a custom high fidelity and high fidelity is a collaboration, social VR experience uh, built by Philip Rosedale. And so they built within that, but they created a custom tool for themselves. So the experience, if you're live in Venice is you walk into a room, you sit down in a chair and you see actors acting out a whole experience while in VR. So some of the people in the audience are just watching the live actors and then watching the screens to see what's happening in virtual reality. Some of the people in the audience are in headset and watching the whole experience of the actors as avatars in high fidelity. And then on top of that, on top of the people who had the chance to go to Venice and to you know see the live experience at the, the island, 
in Venice, virtual reality has our, our own our own island. You know, people anywhere around the world could go into a virtual reality headset and sort of tune into the experience and watch what was happening on stage and watch the two actors interacting with each other in virtual reality as avatars. So, so very different and separate types of experiences. And is that the one that she was talking about where you're able to like flap your wings and fly? No, that's a new one that she's working on, I believe, called Pandora, which is in production now. So she's still creating it. Okay. So what kind of software is Kira using to design and develop these VR experiences? So for running, they built that on Unity. Mm-hmm. And then for, for Love Seed, it was built inside a you know, custom creation for high fidelity. Is that something that anybody can just go pick up and start developing in and working with? Uh, high fidelity, no, it's not available right now. Unity is. There's lots of you know, online courses and they've tried to make it as accessible as possible for people. And then what kind of hardware is needed to create uh, for VR and to experience it? Yeah. So for some of Kira's experiences, she used HP VR headsets. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, here we have the HP VR Reverb Generation 2, yep. which we've announced and will be shipping this fall. She used earlier generations of our headsets for the different experiences and some other VR headsets. And then when we worked with her in Venice, she used some of our HP VR backpacks. She used some of our HP desktops and our laptops, and, you know, a whole bunch of different hardware. What's most important for virtual reality and to run at the performance that Kira was running at and to run high quality, high resolution headsets is that you have a powerful GPU. That tends to be the number one criteria to making sure that the VR will run really well for you. Yeah. But so she has these headsets. She's using them mostly to test like the final product of everything, right? Or is she developing and actually creating the show while wearing a headset? Well, so for Love Seat, for example, the actors were actually wearing headsets while acting. And then, and then they were recorded? And th- well, they, and then they were avatars. Their avatar experience was inside high fidelity. So they're interacting as avatar. I think you and I need to go on a so- social VR experience together. Yeah, I'm down, I'm down to do that. Yeah. I'm down to do you do have that. a VR headset at home? It. I'll try. No, I don't. All right, we got to change that. <laughs> yeah, especially with so many of these are like 3D space and, and VR and virtual reality and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to understand the, the concepts better. That's why I'm asking so many questions. Yeah, it's great. Social VR is very, very popular right now, especially with so many people uh, working from home and learning from home. People are looking for t- ways to collaborate, ways to connect, ways to be together. And so social VR, like a high fidelity, alt space, VR chat, rec room, you're able to go in and really hang out together. You can play games, you can play basketball, you can play ping pong, you can create art together, you can fly together, you can do all these really fun things as an avatar and, you know, feel like you're together with somebody else. You can watch movies, big screen's another one. There's a lot of really exciting ways to come together, connect, engage, be immersed inside virtual reality right now. Yeah. So she she spoke about uh, social VR. And so with that, what comes to mind is is the gameplay, is the entertainment, uh, those types of avenues, which seems like, you know, that's the way it's going. But are any of this social VR for actual, like, productivity? Yes. To, or is it mostly just for entertainment? So there's social VR that 
you know, it has social in the, in the title, I guess. So yeah. a lot of it is around social interaction. And then there's a lot of tools for remote collaboration that can be used, say, for architecture, engineering, and construction oh, that are used by architects or people in, in you know, construction to go in and take a look at, say, for example, a commercial real estate that they're building or a house that they're building and, and do a, a design review. Um, and they can use it, you know, the architects together with the interior designers, together with the client. Really, it's being used for pre-visualization. So instead of I'm trying to explain something to you and you're, it's hard to for what I'm explaining to come across to you in a visual way, we go inside the headset and look at it together and you see, okay, how is the light coming in? Where are the windows? Where are the stairs? Um, so that's being used for architecture, engineering, construction. There's companies like Thea. Trezzy, Wild, you know, there's a whole bunch of different companies that are doing that. And then there's other companies that are creating tools specifically around meetings, collaborations, so where you can do brainstorming and you can work together and you can like look at a spatial model of something for product design. Companies like Gravity Sketch, Gage, Blue, Meet in VR. There's, there's spatial, there's a, there's a bunch of companies that are doing that exactly for what you said. So to tap into your creativity, to tap into your productivity and to make the workflows more efficient and more productive. So if somebody wants to get into VR, where should they start? Well, it depends on what they want to do. I guess from the creator standpoint, say they want to start creating in VR experiences similar to what Kira is doing, but like on a, on a home, on a home level. Well, so what I would say is first, it probably makes the most sense to start watching a lot of virtual reality to get a sense of what's being done, what you can do. It's a really new technology. Yeah. It's really it's a nascent industry. So I would say it's important to watch experiences like Kira's experience and you know other experiences out there. So I would start with get you know get a headset, yep. get a get a computer that can run the headset and watch VR, interact with VR, experience virtual reality. I would start there. If you want to actually build it, there's sort of two paths. You can build you know live action, or you could look at building CG, depending on what kind of creator you are already and what kind of skill set you are already. Kira's building it inside inside CG, you know, with tools like Unity and High Fidelity. But if you do want to build, then you, you'll probably end up learning Unity or you'll learn Unreal, which are the game engines that power virtual reality. And if you want to be a developer, you would, you would learn those tools so that you can bring your creations to life. If you want to create more live action, you know, you still probably want to learn some, some of the game engine technology, um, but then you would get a 360 camera and you would start experimenting with it and start shooting and seeing, you know, what you're building and, and how it looks and what you want to create. I think what I've learned from this is that I need to start trying out more VR so I can be as pumped about it as you are. <laughs> yes. Joanna, thank you so much for all this information and coming on the show. Thank you. I'm excited, excited to get you into a headset and, and uh, have some fun. <laughs> all right, I'll see you later. If you want to learn more about Kira's experiments in digital storytelling, check out her latest project, Love Seat, from her multi-dimensional production house, Double Eye Studios, at doubleeye.co. And make sure to keep your eyes peeled for their latest production, Looking for Pandora X. Thank you, Kira, for helping us literally build new worlds. Right Brainers is brought to you by Z by HP, the makers of high-performance laptops, desktops, and solutions for technical and creative pros. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thanks so much for joining us. If you want more food for your ripe brain, visit www.hp.com slash ripebrainers. Until next time, I'm Tito Hamzy, and this is Ripe Brainers. <laughs>